0: Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Nick and Adam, and we're going to be talking about *Revenge of the Cybermen*, uh, 1975 Doctor Who episode, starring Tom Baker. It's the series finale for series 12, and um, and yeah, so let's uh, let's get right into the discussion. What what are you guys' uh, thoughts on this episode?
1: Well, I. I have mixed feelings on this episode. I think it gets off to a really good start. I'm always like really into it in the beginning part when they first show up on the station. There's the plague, there's the situation. I feel kind of like around the third episode. I feel like it kind of gets draggy a bit. It's like things really kind of slow down for a while. but uh ultimately it picks up at the end, but i uh. I don't know, I, I think it's got a lot of cool concepts in it, but it, it just, it, the pacing on it isn't great.
2: This is this is one of those few Doctor Who stories that unfortunately actually do suffer a little bit from cheesy special effects.
0: Hmm. Um, yes, I, I, I would I, agree. I would I, agree strongly I, with that one.
2: I, I like this this story actually a lot. I think this story is, is pretty strong, and I like the... The badass cybermen and there's some great ideas in this story but it, it, it's it's hard not to to ignore the fact when like you know the 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 they're trying to avoid the rocket hitting something to notice that it's like this spinning landscape that they're looking at <laughs> yeah notice that they cut in nasa footage of like a rock uh. that's a states on the side of it you know like,
1: they, they would have been better off using a bottle rocket than using the standard nasa footage i mean that was just no that was a mistake yeah,
0: yeah that was bad i agree a bottle because ro- i used to do bottle rockets as a kid i would have bought that way more than <laughs> you know than, than like iconic space footage um but uh but yeah the the masks it's funny because the masks they total the, the special effects for for the vogans their masks worked fine when they were just talking when they were in a room chatting and explaining who they were i bought them entirely it looked a little cheap but it didn't it didn't it didn't look like um uh like like really bad horror movie cheap but when there was any action with the Vulcans Mm -hmm. and they were moving around then the i don't know if they were wearing different masks or just them in a wide shot moving around the masks were shaking or something but it really leapt out at me in those moments and it kind and it looked like a really bad horror movie which i i can I can get into. I can forgive that sure. for sure, but it definitely was like punching me in the face while I was watching it, um, and it was kind of pu- to the point that it was sort of pulling me out because I was actually very interested in, in 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 the Vogans and in their their sort of uh, I don't know their gold based civilization in that in that meteorite or whatever it was, but uh, I it, the but the but the, I I would agree that the the special effects in this episode. They they really require a lot of forgiveness of on the part of the viewer I think to sort of buy into some of the uh, things yeah. going on. Um, and I kind of uh-huh. I, oh, I kind of agree with Adam where like I love the beginning. Like I was really pulled in, and this was I think you guys have seen this multiple times. This is my first mm-hmm. time seeing it, so I was I was pulled in at the beginning. I liked that. Oh, they're like in the same place but earlier. That was kind of a cool twist. And, yeah. and the whole time in the back of my head, I'm like, well, but if they do anything, they're going to disrupt, you know, their future. <laughs> and, and, and so, uh, but I started getting a little bit confused by some of the stuff that was going on. There's the doctor and he's kind of a double agent and he's sort of, you know, and, and so you just had to really keep track. Like I, I got over it, but I felt like I really had to pay close attention to the different mm-hmm. factions involved and. And there was also reference to a war between these two groups. Uh, and so I tried to go looking that up after I watched it. I couldn't find much on it. So I didn't know, mm-hmm. was that never an actual episode or was that? It's,
2: yeah, it's it's just mentioned in this story. So the the great cyber war that they talk about, uh, where humanity and the Cybermen had a big war. And thanks to the invention of the glitter gun and the help of the Vogans, the humanity was able to defeat the Cybermen. Uh, because gold plates their breathing units, and then they can't they can't properly breathe. You know, and and that's interesting only because the Cybermen we often think of as completely human, but in fact they it, it, not well reinforced in this story. But the idea that um, you know there's still people kind of underneath the suits. A little. And and I think another thing that's interesting to mention is other than a brief picture of a Cyberman in carnival of monsters this is the first time that we see the cybermen in color in the series okay so up to this they've always appeared in black and white stories but the irony is (laughs) cybermen are silver and black if they're a cyber leader with handles on his head you know so the irony is like they're they don't need to be in color really so yeah so uh, i did i did no but in this
0: episode i think it made visual sense because you have the gold of um of uh, Mm um Of of Voga, and you have have the uh, the silver of the Cybermen. So, um,
2: and that and that might be a great reason to to put that together. I think.
0: I, I, I we didn't catch the last bit of that, Nick. I'm sorry. I'm
2: sorry. I was going to say maybe that was visually that was a, a really great point, Brendan. You know, just saying that the gold with the silver of the Cybermen, I think, is 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 uh, a, a good you know juxtaposition and works. Yeah, and, I mean, the, and if you gotta bring the Cybermen back as these silver creatures, you might as well do it on a gold planet, right? So.
0: Well, and it's funny know. too because the the for the old old Doctor Who episodes, the only other Cybermen episode I had seen, I think, before this one was one with the first Doctor. I think it was the first episode with the Mondasian Cybermen, and I saw that only because that plot became relative irrelevant to New Who, and I I decided to go track down that that episode. Um, but these Cybermen seemed very different to me than pretty much any Cybermen I've seen um, in the way that they behaved. There's something about the way they were carrying themselves and the way that they were just interacting and... and Yeah, I
1: didn't feel they were all that well written in places like, for example, the trick the doctor first uses the first time he runs into them is he kind of eggs them on to make them mad, you know, to like draw them out. It's like, well, that's not a trick you'd used on the Cybermen. Let's let's get him all worked up and emotional. It's like it. I, I kind of felt like that was just bad writing on the part of the show that they weren't treating the Cybermen the way Cybermen really should be used
0: in that particular point. Well, and also the fight scenes with the Cybermen looked a little strange to me. Like there was that one mm. scene, I call it the cyberbullying scene, where, where where Sarah Jane and Doctor <laughs> and the Doctor are, are fighting the Cybermen, and they're like choking them from behind. The, the Cybermen are choking them from behind. And there was something, it was, I don't know what about that scene felt strange to me. Either like their reactions were really pronounced for what the Cybermen were doing. It was, mm-hmm. it was an unusual moment. It was kind of a charming moment because it was sort of like you know it was, it was a little bit humorous, but uh, yeah. Um, but but the Cybermen yeah. were just kind of like you know they, I don't know the way that they were. They had him by the looked, shoulder
1: and were just like yeah. shaking them. And, yeah, it yeah. just felt very weird. But um,
3: uh,
1: I felt I felt too the, uh, the 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 actual battle scenes between the uh, the Vogans too, where they were kind of fighting each other and fighting the Cybermen. I felt like they were I mean, not it's not like you turned to Doctor old Doctor Who for great battle sequences, but I felt they were particularly disjointed and they just didn't hang together very well. Like compared to, you know, Genesis of the Daleks get with minimal work gave us this feeling there was this real war going on and soldiers fighting and it felt mm-hmm. it felt surprisingly real. I felt like they they just didn't pull that off of this episode. That's part of why the second and third episodes
0: were kind of a letdown. My, my feeling but, was that some of that was maybe due to the location they they were mm-hmm. shooting in. Because I've seen a lot of martial arts movies that take place in similar sort of cavern-like environments. And when they're yes. filmed in like the 70s and they get grainy, the, I don't know something about that that environment doesn't work well with the film. So I'm wondering if that might have just been it. But I do agree I, agree. With I do agree with Nick, that there's a lot there, there, are, there are like things in this that I really like. like the I, I really wanted to know more about the Vogans. Whenever they were sort of dealing with their internal politics, I got mm-hmm. very curious about them. and I thought that in a way I wish that more of the episode had focused on on their society because it seemed like they had some kind of caste system maybe. like there was the, um, the guys who have like the full head of hair. Seemed to be yeah. like the ones who were the political leaders. And the guys with the bald heads. Seemed like they were the guardians of the mines, um, And maybe more like the, the military. Or something like that. It was a little unclear. But uh, but I thought it was interesting. And I, and I thought that the leader so. was
2: a very interesting guy. Mm-hmm. So. So if we were Vogans, I think Adam would probably be our leader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so.
1: I don't know. I'm, I'm losing my leadership ability here. But, uh, I, I guess maybe moment. that's
2: it.
0: Maybe, maybe they, receding hair was seen as a, a sign of... of, of <laughs> you
2: know, yes. It, it, one thing that's interesting about the Vogans, and, and this is something that I think unfortunately dates this episode simply because of retroactive continuity and that is that the the logo that they use for the vogans the Vogan seal they reuse like a Mm. season or later as the seal of rassilon which becomes the iconic symbol of the time lords for the rest of the show going forward and so yeah, it's like yeah. this weird thing where you're watching and you're like, is that the Seal of Rass line? Like, like <laughs> Maybe what?
0: there's a reason for that. Maybe there's like a connection between them Somebody and Somebody
2: has to write something up and make it canonical because, uh, you know, I think that's funny, but on, on the flip side, I think a lot of Modern Who fans who watch this story are going to be expecting some mention of the Time mm-hmm. Lords or something, yeah. not realizing that, in fact, they reuse that prop thinking that it was like a throwaway thing that they could throw on a wall and of course it becomes famous in the other episodes. So
1: yeah, that that's a a great great point there. And I mean, yeah, and really it was just simply saving budget was the reason they <laughs> reused the prop. But they really yeah. should go back and and come up with some canonical reason. Uh-huh. It'd be really easy to retrofit something in one of the yeah. one of the new who episodes. Uh-huh.
2: You know, I, I wanted to say one other thing you guys were talking about the fight scene. And one of the things that I like and, and the Cybermen, I believe, had done this before was I like the fact that the Cybermen shot out of their helmets mm-hmm. because it's a very good weapon methodology so that where you look, you can hit. Right. So I think mm-hmm. that's kind of a cool uh, like thing. I like the fact that they did that and, and they just recently brought that back when they brought the Mondosian Cybermen back at the end of the last season of Doctor Who, the last 12th Doctor, second to last 12th Doctor story. So we hadn't seen that in years. And and going back to this story and watching it, I think that's neat. One other thing that I really like is I I love the sequence where the the Cybermen have their cyber bombs, where like a cyber bomb can destroy a planet and they're sending like three or four of them down into Voga to destroy the hell out of this planet so that gold will no longer be around, right? They can eliminate the one threat that will help them be defeated. And I I think it's interesting that the Doctor and some of the characters have these super bombs strapped to them, you know, and considering where we are now, where, you know, like in in the Middle East, people will kidnap people and then literally strap bombs to them and then use them, you know, horrible. I mean, like a horrible thing. But to see that even in Doctor Who in the 70s, where the Cybermen are sending them to the middle of this planet. And, of course, you get the brilliant scene where the Doctor's unconscious and Harry's trying to take this, this bomb off yeah. him, which can explode the whole planet, you know. The Doctor wakes up, of course, and calls him an <laughs> imbecile and stuff. But I think that's a brilliant sequence and um, interesting that they would go in that direction for this story.
0: Well, yeah. and I have to say, I'm really starting to to warm up to Harry a lot now that I'm mm-hmm. watching these episodes. So he seems like a like a um, like somebody that I would have seen like when I watch like YouTube clips of like talk shows from the '70s. He seems like somebody that would like fit right in. In in that sort of environment, like he's very, he's very comfortable, no matter what's going on. He's just sort of like, you know, there's like, like, these are like the most stressful situations you can imagine. And he's talking like he's in somebody's living room, uh, you know, like, uh, like discussing, you know, a movie or a book. Uh, So I'm I'm really starting to enjoy his character.
1: Yeah, he's a, he's a British military man, stereotype to a degree, in a good way.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, and there's there's a sequence in this story, too, that I really like, where, you know, they appear on Space Station Nerva, and, you know, like, right off the bat, like, 30 seconds into this story, like, they encounter the body that falls through, and then they walk into the, the rest of the ship, and the plague is hit, you know, they perceive it to be the plague, right? And all these bodies are laying everywhere. And I was actually looking and, th- and thinking about germ theory because Harry, without any gloves on, starts like mm-hmm. physically examining everyone as a doctor. And then I thought about it a second time, though, and it's not unusual for a doctor to actually examine a patient without yeah. gloves on. Very rarely does, you know, if you go see your doctor, do they have gloves on because they kind of know when and when not to. And then I was like, oh, actually, that might be more realistic that he's not using gloves. Yeah, they, well, he, they, he, he... Yeah, I was yeah. just gonna say they get into the next room, and you know they're like, "Who are you guys?" And they're like, "The perfect team to show up, right?" It's like, "Hi, we have a medical doctor. I'm a doctor of many yeah. things. You know, we've <laughs> got this this really smart girl that's with us. That you know, like we're your like we're here to help. Like, okay, like exactly the right team that you needed for that. You know, so
1: yeah, it's a, it a good cover. Yeah, and I, you know, getting back to things I liked about the episode, I did, I liked the whole. uh you know having they they did a good job with making it earlier in time with you know having the humans in this era were pretty relatable normal people they had their their actual you know submachine guns they had uh mm. you know very recognizable technology and uh as Vo- compared
0: to what's oh, that i was gonna say were the vogans guns were those made out of gold as well was that
2: the idea there Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, it would make sense. I mean, I don't think it's sad, but you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to derail you. I just, I just,
1: Oh, no, that's fine. I just think I, I liked it. How compared to the, uh, the humans in, uh, arc in space were very culturally distant from
0: anything we recognize. So that was a, a nice touch there. Well, and this was what thousands of years before that, right? This, so this was, this was mm-hmm. considerable amount of, of time. Um, but yeah, and, and the 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 Vogans, to me they look like space Dürger or space like deep gnomes or something or you know. Yeah, you know.
1: I thought so too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they. I, I really liked the the mask. Like I said, they didn't work in a lot of the scenes, but the look of the mask
0: was great. Well, they well, just had, they, and the
1: costumes.
0: I, I mean, and I know that this episode is generally not as um, well thought of as some of the earlier ones, but. Um, I, it's, it's when I saw the mask. One of my first thoughts was, I thought, I think it would be interesting to see them redone in the new Who to see mm-hmm. sort of what they would look like with uh with with slightly better effects. What you know, what what you know, how 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 they might come across. But um, but I I didn't mind the masks. Like I said during the the political scenes, it was mainly those action scenes. They just kind of stuck yeah. out for some reason. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, it's clear they had some mass-produced masks just to be able to throw onto the extras and run around and stuff but yeah
0: yeah that must have been it that mu- it must have been that because on the leader it looked fine i thought he you know i mean you could tell it was a mask but i mean just growing up from that period it didn't seem all that unbelievable and i i liked the shape of the face and everything but um mm-hmm. but then in those sequences it was just a, it was sort of like looked a
2: little wobbly um the yeah. eyes are so big you know, like they had the really high like eyebrows and eyebrow ridges yeah. that I'm convinced that maybe the hair thing is something because if, if so much of your face is eyebrows and stuff, you know, like maybe the, the ability to grow hair is actually very important in some way. So. But what was funny is
0: their, their eyes, it was like they were really small because the eyelids were so gigantic. They just they had like uh-huh. normal sized openings, but the eyelids themselves looked really huge. It was a yep. very interesting look. Um, and, uh, and I just think updated it would, I think it would look cool with some updated technology to, to mm-hmm. really, you know, get the, the, the emotional look of the eyebrows in there maybe, but uh, right. it, they look like either Durgar or sort of like somebody had taken, I don't know, like a, just sort of, you know, an image in their head of Greek philosophers and turned them into, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, an alien race. Um, yeah
1: and uh it's it's interesting because it's been a long time since i've seen this episode so my memories had kind of distorted it because you know you said how you'd liked would have liked to see more of their culture and more mm. of the politics and stuff and that's actually what i remembered so watching it you know that because that was those were the good parts and they stuck in my head so i was Mm. i was disappointed too going man i thought there was more of this in the episode
0: but but nope yeah it's funny. oh go ahead nick
2: Oh, I was going to say, there, there were a couple things that I wanted to mention, and one of them I think is really interesting because we talked about this uh, in our classic Who You Know" Retro podcast just a couple times ago, and that was uh, about the Doctor and violence and how the Doctor actually does do violence. And this is an mm-hmm. excellent example of the Doctor actually doing violence because when they fire the, the Sky Striker missile, right, it's, it's heading towards Voga, the Doctor gets control of it, veers it away and shoots it right into a cyber ship. Right. Yeah. So it's not yeah. like, you know, like, Oh, so, so who shot that missile into the thing? That was me. I'm the doctor. Like, and he, <laughs> like he poisons a
0: bunch of Cybermen with the cyber mat. So it's like, uh, you know, oh, yeah. which looked like a terrible way to die. Um, right. I was wondering how it penetrated there. Um, yes, but I guess if it was a cyber mat, maybe it would be equipped to do so. Um, but yeah, he was yeah. pretty, and he had some interesting lines too in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, I think, after he killed the Cybermen, I didn't quite catch it. But I think he started saying, "Oh sweet death," and started getting kind of poetic, uh-huh. and Sarah Jane had to uh, had to kind of <laughs> pull him along, and uh-huh. and then he had the cogito ergo sum uh, line when the thing missed. Um, but uh, and and there was that whole scene with him when the. The who is the was Kelman the name of the 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 Ellerman? the the guy who was the the traitor in the in the episode yeah Kelman it was Kelman, yeah, Kelman. So, oh no yeah you were right Kelman Kelman yeah. so he he examines the doctor when he's unconscious uh to find out more about you know who the doctor is and he just finds like a <laughs> uh, a a neat apple and and some uh, some jelly babies? jelly babies. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know, you mentioning the Cybermat, I think is is kind of interesting too, because this is the third appearance of the Cybermats in the show, and the Do- the the Cybermen hadn't appeared during all of the run of the Third Doctor in their own story. So even if you are a fan of the show, when we see a Cybermat earlier in the story before we know the Cybermen are involved, right, and they change the look of the Cybermat. Probably very intentionally, and even though earlier Doctor Who stories had Cybermats actually poisoning people and giving them an infection, I think by changing the look of the Cybermat, longtime viewers in the UK who are watching the series would not have caught on that that was a cyber mat right away. They okay. might have gone, "Well, I've never seen something like that. It could be a Cybermat. It's similar, but that's not the way Cybermats look." So I think I think that. That's an interesting design change that they had a new updated look for the Cybermat. So okay,
1: hmm. yeah. And yeah. speaking of reused props, aside from the seal of Rasselon that uh, we talked about too, the uh, that brush that Kelman has that he's got his spy tools in and stuff. That's the same brush from Live and Let Die, the James Bond movie. <laughs> and uh and roger moore personally gave that to doctor he was down at the bbc and he saw they were doing a doctor who season he's like oh well they have no money i bet they they could use some props so he uh he, oh, when he, he was transmitting personally.
0: the messages to voga the yeah yeah yep. yeah that, roger did, moore that did gave seem that seem like a show. james bondy type scene too like the way he's like he's <laughs> yes. pulling out the thing and he's yeah that was that did look like it came from q it was... yeah
2: <laughs> it
1: did it did So that's a great yeah. story
2: too Connecting to like great, you know, British institutions. So
1: exactly, exactly. But,
3: uh, you know,
2: one, one thing that should be interesting to note about Revenge of the Cybermen and how, for better or worse, the BBC doesn't always know how good a property they have when it comes to Doctor Who. But Revenge of the Cybermen was the first episode of doctor who that was released on vhs so when they finally decided to go to like home video and go hey we're gonna release some (laughs) stories like they're like oh man we gotta get revenge of the cybermen (laughs) and i'm like like, considering how strong all of the other stories in this season are it's really odd that they would pick revenge of the cybermen as their first home video release and just
0: from a chronological point of view it's the Mm -hmm. last episode of the series so it's a little, it's, you know, there's, there's still, I mean, cause it's kind of, I, I think if I walked in on this episode, some, it might be a little confusing cause they mention things that happened in the previous episodes with them being on, you know, like, you know, the, the, you know, there's, they're coming back to, to space station Nerva and it's, it's, um, uh, it, it you know, there's a, and they, they talk about the time difference and stuff. So, uh,
1: yeah, and they're waiting for a TARDIS, and if you've never seen Doctor Who before, it's like this blue box mm. shows up at the end right. of the right. so It's, it's like, like, oh, here we go, and it's, it's like, what's, what? What happened?
0: <laughs> but that's so that was the very first, vi- so if I was like a, though I guess presumably they probably assume people who bought
2: it would have been familiar with the show. Is that what they were yeah. thinking? Yeah. Hey, can yeah. I have this ring? It just disappeared. Why is that? <laughs> what the heck is that even? Like, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, there's yeah, all these little
2: things like that. But...
1: But yeah, I'm sure most people that watched it had at least seen it on PBS or something if they mm-hmm. were... Uh,
0: well, and that's back there's... when VHS cassettes were super expensive too, right? Like, didn't they use... Like, if I remember when oh, I was yeah. a kid... They were like ninety bucks or something when when, yeah. when uh when, when if you wanted to buy because they didn't they didn't expect you to actually buy them. They expected uh you to just rent them from a, a rental place. Um mm-hmm. but uh but yeah, that's I don't know, that's interesting. Um
2: Yeah. It it, yeah. it is another thing that should be mentioned about that VHS release too was they released it in movie format, which really originated here in the USA. So You know, even if it was released overseas, it's my understanding that it was released as one large, an hour and a half story rather than the four episodes that it was originally broadcast in. So, you know, I I think that's kind of an interesting thing that they kind of, you know, released it as a movie, you know, and as you were talking about, Brendan, about how videotapes were released in the early 80s, that it was almost as if it was something that you could pick up off a shelf you know out of the horror or monster movie section or something like that and you were watching a movie rather than like this tv series you know so okay
0: okay oh, so they didn't even really necessarily market it as part of the of a an ongoing series you're saying it might have been well I and
2: mean, it would have been the first tape released right doctor who the revenge of the cybermen mm. but but in a movie format, right? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, and if it was their first release, I don't know how long it was. I know it was released in 83, but I don't know how long it was until the second video was released. or if They were waiting to see what sales might be like. Or I mean, the BBC never thought that they'd do well. Like, they never really had reruns of their own show on the BBC. You know, they'd sell it to other places. So I think they might have been pretty tentative about will this even sell? Will Dr. Who be a success? Will it last for 50 years? Who knows? I <laughs> yeah. But, uh,
0: but you no, know, that is interesting. I mean, and that was like, a, you know, back then when you would get a movie, you, you, finding context for it could be incredibly difficult. Unlike today where you can, you can Google it and you immediately know everything there is to know about the franchise back then, you know, you just had what was ever on the box and what rumors people told you about it. So, um, But 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 the thing is, I feel like even as a kid at that time, you know, like I knew who Doctor Who was. Like I had because it was on PBS and stuff. So, um, you know, I I, I think I would have known what it was looking at it. But, um, but still, that is an odd uh, an odd episode. Like, because I would think now having seen this series, I would think like you know maybe Ark in Space or Genesis of the Daleks would have been a better. A better choice um probably genesis of the dollar that would probably been a good a good option because i feel like you could watch that one and not be terribly confused by what's going on because they sort of explain you know the situation at the start
1: yeah i think i think though one thing to keep in mind too looking back at you know growing up in the 70s and 80s is that because You know, you either watched a TV show when it was airing for the most part, or you you didn't see it at all. It was like picking up a show that had been running for a while and just watching an episode and being like, what's going on? It's just just kind of a a thing people were a lot more used to. You didn't have the option of watching everything from episode one. So I think I think if you no, if you run at this video and were confused a bit you'd be like huh there's you'd be, you'd be more intrigued than yeah. just baffled it, it, to an extent it, it, it
0: wasn't a big deal for whatever came before to be a little bit mysterious and mm-hmm. and you also had limited viewing options too so it wasn't like there was like I, I don't think yeah. I don't think I had cable in my household until at least '85 and uh, mm-hmm. and so you know it was all just whatever was on the you know regular TV at that time. Um, but, uh, but and this, in this episode in particular did remind me of just sort of a lot of the stuff, uh, that I remember watching as a kid at that time. It just had that vibe to it. Um, but I don't know, but, uh, yeah,
1: I, uh, it was, it was another, and like I said, I, I, even though it, it. It, you know like we said we, we said the cave thing too probably made it harder for them to shoot the uh, you know battle sequence as well but it was it was a nice atmospheric location I thought once again like uh, with with the uh, the previous episode and um, it and apparently apparently they had a lot of trouble on the with the location. they had a lot of accidents mm-hmm. uh, Sarah Jane almost drowned when they that little part with the boat because she had like she fell off it and she had heavy boots on so she had to be rescued and
2: so it, yeah, was, it was,
1: was a troubled shoot.
2: <laughs> it was it was recorded at a very famous underground cave. I think it's Wooksley Hole or something like that in the UK. And while it's an underground cave, it, there's also underground rivers that flow in there and actually have currents. So when she fell in, apparently, you know, she literally had to be rescued because if she like went under the water and into like the next cavern, you know, like mm-hmm. would you ever find her or whatever? And we were, we talked when we did the Santarin experiment about Terry Malloy, the stuntman. And if I remember correctly, it was Terry Malloy, the stuntman, who jumped in and saved her life, actually, oh, in man. that story, like literally pulled her out of the water and, you know, like. I'm sure everyone's like, "Oh, thank you." You know, I was like, like, "Man, that could have been really bad." So,
0: yeah, that would have definitely how
2: different Doctor Who would be if if the actress died and we didn't have Sarah Jane Smith, the iconic Sarah Jane Smith. And you know, I'm glad. Yeah,
1: well, uh, yeah. An accident like that is the kind of thing that could kill a show too. So even even Doctor Who. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, that was a. Uh... But yeah, it was Terry that did it. I just looked that up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, apparently it's it was supposed to be a haunted cave. There was a cursed witch that apparently died in there, and yeah, so the, the locals all warned them about it. They didn't they didn't heed the warning, and so it was it was cursed.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess uh, that's that's uh, that would have definitely made it a, a much. Uh, <laughs> This whole discussion would be much darker, obviously, if, not, <laughs> um, if, if he hadn't rescued her. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I don't know. Uh, any other thoughts on this episode before we uh, get into some of the closing topics?
2: Oh, Hi. Think... Um, you know, I'll, I'll just say one thing that's interesting about this. So we talked about earlier about how the Cybermen didn't seem to be themselves. Um, it's important to remember that the story was written by Jerry Davis, one of the inventors of the Cybermen, one of the co-inventors of the Cybermen. So um, I think that's kind of interesting that even if they were hmm. not quite being themselves, he was the primary writer of the story. Hmm. Um, though it's my understanding that Robert Holmes, who was the script editor, also basically now gets co-credit for the story. So um, I'm just wondering what, and I don't think any of us ever know, right, what Davis wrote versus, you know, Holmes, and whether or not, even if the Cybermen were being emotional, if the creator of the Cybermen saw that maybe as, you know, like a little weakness of them, that maybe there's still something there... Maybe when you lose the biggest cyber war you've ever had, maybe even, even <laughs> you get emotional. emotional. people get pissed. <laughs> yeah,
1: another, another possibility too is that the out-of-character things were largely just dialogue and kind of conversational things. So I could see the original script of having none of that. And then at some point, you know, Holmes or somebody punched up the dialogue to make it more exciting and he kind of ended up throwing some of those things in there.
0: Well, and a lot so of could, it... Seemed to come down to the performances too rather than what they Mm. were literally saying. Like just the way they were saying things and the way they were moving. So, but when I looked it up on Wikipedia and I know that's not a very, you know, reliable (laughs) venue for information all the time, but but it did say something like that, Nick. It said that he was uh, uh, reportedly not happy with the characterization of the Cybermen and that there were so many rewrites that that introduced some inconsistencies though I should say there was a citation needed uh, thing after it said that, so uh, how, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how reliable that is, I don't know. Uh, but
1: uh, and I will say that I like the fact the Wikipedia page uses the photo of the Cybermen shaking. <laughs> The doctor. Oh, it does it's got the Jane, cyber you commented photo. On. That's the that's the that the cyber bully scene is the oh, yeah, definitive yeah. image of that episode. It's the you know <laughs> what, what it really was?
0: So it was it was a combination of Sarah Jane's reaction, which just seemed very pronounced for her, based on other <laughs> yeah. things I had seen. But also the Cyberman that was shaking Tom Baker looked like I don't know, it was like it, it was a it was weird. It was like he was really into it, but not really into it. It was a strange it just, it just seemed very odd. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was the performers. Maybe they just got actors to play the Cybermen who shouldn't have been playing Cybermen. I don't know. It um, could have been a Forecasting.
1: casting. Uh, hey, they're going to be in suits. You yeah. pick anybody off the street. Mm-hmm. Nope. Takes a very, very particular well, actor to it's play like the a guy, Cyberman.
0: It's like the guy who who played Darth Vader in the suit, and nobody really gives it credit. <laughs> David Prowse. Yeah, you know. Yeah. May, maybe maybe if some jerk had been in there playing him, it would have really been awful. But we just don't know because. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I don't know. But 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 uh, but yeah. So I, I, I again I, I sort of. Uh, agree with Nick. I thought that the opening episode was great. There were things about the episodes I liked, but it just didn't seem like as strong as some of the other stories that we were seeing this season. There were so many, re- and maybe that's just because there were so many really great stories. Um, I feel like right. like the episodes. A lot of the episodes in this series were like out-of-the-park episodes. And so, mm-hmm. that that might have just been part of it. And also, the stuff that I liked about this episode, I felt I wasn't getting enough of. So, there were things about it I liked, and I just wanted more of that rather than some of the other stuff um yeah
1: i mean there are there are doctor who episodes that have the things i don't like about this episode and that's all there is to them so i mean i this this episode still deserves a lot of points
2: yeah i i think that this episode has to stand next to a whole bunch of really excellent stories and if it wasn't where it was i think it would be perceived as stronger and even if it were remade now i think it would be really badass like i mean you could really do a great story with this Mm. you know and and make up for the special effects and the weaknesses and things like that but Mm. that said i also think it's brilliant that tom baker knocked out a lot of the major bad guys that he you know the doctor traditionally faces right in his first season Mm. and i think it's great that he meets the daleks and the cybermen and he kind of you know, cl- checks off a lot of those those villains, which gives his era a huge opportunity to not have to dwell on the old monsters, but rather develop into different ways and create new monsters and do a whole bunch of things. So, if I remember correctly, this is the only Tom Baker Cyberman story. So, we don't see the Cyberman again for another seven years then. so. Okay.
1: Yeah, and it had you know, and it had a bit the last, the previous one was 1968, which is which is a lot of restraint. It's like I like that. It's like you know, a lot of times the new series would kind of overuse like the, uh, the Cybermen.
0: It's kind of yeah. like when are the Cybermen going to show up? These yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so. it's,
1: it makes it very exciting when
0: they come up. The, the, there is yeah. something and, to be said for when, restraint like that. They're definitely yeah. is.
2: <laughs> when they do bring the Cybermen back. What I like about that, and it's clear, you know, they use the Revenge of the Cybermen to get some ratings. A new Doctor will put Cybermen right in the title. Mm-hmm. When they return for the fifth Doctor, it's in a story that doesn't have Cybermen in the title. They come back in Earthshock. And so when they re- when they return at that point, um, they are... It's a complete surprise. So, like, it's been seven years. No one knows it's coming there's no leaks about them on Radio Times covers before they show up or anything like that, you know, and it's a huge surprise. What I think is interesting about Earthshock is that um, they have clips of the doctors, previous doctors. The Cybermen watch this, like, clip of, of previous doctors meeting the Cybermen, and then there's, of course, the clip of the fourth doctor meeting, you know, the Cybermen in this story, and it's the scene where he says, like, "Oh, you guys are just a bunch of tin pots lurking around the galaxy in an old spaceship or whatever." <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, it's interesting because I know that line more from Earthshock than I do from this original source material. So, okay, it's just, it's, yeah,
0: that's that's pretty interesting. The um, I, I always like when they refer to the Doctor's previous dealings with 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 the uh, the creatures when they when there's when they when they reference the history. Um, but uh i don't know that that should be an interest uh, i'm i'm looking forward to getting to some of those episodes as well when uh when if we if we get that far of uh uh through the through the early series uh, i was looking at a chart of the hours of time each different doctor uh has for episodes and and it looks like we have <laughs> quite a while to to before we get to that point um, sure but uh but yeah no i th- i uh it, it, you know, again, I think I think I, uh, you know, I, the thing I would have liked to see more of uh, after this episode is I really liked the Vogans and I, I would like to uh, I I I I thought they were a cool you know a cool group and and w- and was curious about them so um, I don't know maybe just because the episode wasn't as well received we never they never decided to revisit them but I think they'd make an interesting. Uh, uh, race to kind of bring back to the um bring back to the show
1: it would because i mean the, the episode basically ends they have been hiding in this rock and like not dealing with the outside world for a long time and so the sequel would be the doctor shows up like you know hundreds of years later and it's like well what's happened now that yeah. these guys have been dealing with society how's that changed things so there's there's definitely an opening
2: for and, that.
0: And I still have so many questions about how their society operates. So you all just kind of have to pick it up from context. So What do know. they
2: use for money on that planet, for yeah. gosh sakes? So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be... I mean, I think
2: it'd be hilarious if they were like fighting over the carcasses of dead Cybermen because they weren't gold. You know? <laughs> so the dead cyber parts were more valuable than anything they had on their planet.
0: <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so... Um, but uh, before we end the episode, uh, me and Adam had been talking about time travel <clears> in RPGs, <throat> and we know that you, Nick, have a ongoing Doctor Who campaign that you've been running for a very long time.
2: So, I do, yeah. So
0: we were just curious about your general thoughts on 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 Doctor Who, but art, but specifically the time travel aspect of of uh, you know, and, and 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 dealing with that in the context of an RPG game,
2: like like in general of how to use time travel.
0: Yeah, well, I just think it like because I think a lot of GMs have experimented with time travel. Me and Nick were talking. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, me and Adam were talking about you know how, when it's come up in our campaigns, and it's it's come up every once in a while. But to have a, can a, what is it, your campaign's been going on for like 30 years. So, yeah. uh, so yep. to have time travel that much of a consideration over the full duration of a campaign, I was just curious uh-huh. about some of your insights.
2: Sure. Well, actually, Revenge of the Cybermen is a great story to talk about in, in, for this, as an example, right? Because this season of Doctor Who, as we've been reviewing it, really actually deals with time travel because they go forward and back from Nerva Beacon down to earth and then they come back at a different time and um you know to me within the context of a role-playing game there's two ways that you can use time travel the first way is kind of what we think of when we think of a bottle story right the time travel happens within just that one story Mm -hmm. you know so somebody finds an artifact or somebody finds a time machine and they then because they have this object go back to you know, we can use the classic save your grandmother's life or or something like that. And, and and which, of course, changes things or changes how we perceive things or or maybe needs to right or wrong because suddenly you wake up one day and, you know, Nazis have taken over and now we need to go back and change something to, to do something well. I think that's we all I think a lot of us understand the bottle story where we try to solve the time travel within just that one adventure, right? We get the artifact, you know, maybe, you know, like the magic sword or whatever it might be so that we can travel back in time and and solve what's going on. And then we remove the time travel from the campaign at that point. What's interesting about the Doctor Who game is that you can use time travel um, over the course of many gameplays, right? So... Yeah. It's interesting to, to set up a story. You play three or four games you know, that happen at a certain location. We're, we're on the planet Voga, right? We've just finished Revenge of the Cybermen. And then you ignore it, just like Doctor Who does for seven years <laughs> or whatever. Not really seven years, but you ignore it for ten game sessions yeah. or something. And then you return to that setting because you can go back in time or maybe forward in time and see what the results are of what happened, right? So it's interesting, you know, what did happen on Voga years after, 100 years after the Cybermen were defeated, how is Voga now different? Like, do they like Earthlings? Do they perceive Earthlings as bad people? Maybe we should or shouldn't like them. So I think the advantage of time travel in a campaign versus a single bottle story is that you can go back and visit you know, the results of your players' actions years later, or see what happened before those players' actions. And, of course, if you go back in time to see what things were like before this other thing happened, that could still affect, you know, you return to the original time that you were in, and now things are different because you accidentally meddled with whatever. And so I think there's a lot of strength, right, to the concept of time travel in any role-playing game Mm -hmm. because... Even if the and, and one thing I love to play to is if there's a moment that's particularly powerful to the players, right? They defeat a bad guy, they get the killing blow on on the major villain, and then for something time travel to happen and to revisit that moment that really matters to that character's development is a very powerful moment in any game. When suddenly the very thing that makes the character who they are is revisited and then questioned, I think that's a great way to use time travel.
0: That's interesting because a lot of times, if I'm trying to use time travel in that way, I might try to key it to an event in the setting or something that's important but not necessarily personal to the players. And so, Especially in a fantasy setting, that might be fairly meaningless to them, really. But if you're tying it to things that they've actually done as characters, it's it mm-hmm. seems like it's more like like you said, just more of an immediate uh, importance to them. Um, sure.
2: Well, you know, I can I can give you an example. We're in the middle of a time timey wimey plot in our current Doctor Who game, which is kind of interesting, and our our players are up against a, an evil Time Lord who's known as the Time Killer. Okay, and the players very recently were able to capture the time killer, okay, without killing him, which was like a huge feat, right? Like, you know, um, yeah. and they put him in a prison. They, they took him to Shada, the Time Lord prison, and he's been imprisoned. But right before he did that, he took this device, he had captured one of the players, Took this device and put it inside him, and and the, the the player is kind of an unusual player. They're a non-Newtonian liquid, okay? So, so that's, they're like a, a little blob character, a cute blob, Calbo, and the players like the Time Killer had put this like object inside him, and what the Calbo didn't know as a as a character was that it was a device that would stop time through the whole universe. And Kelbo was forced to have this thing inside them and they didn't like it. And as a non-Newtonian liquid, there was this like heavy object in them and they didn't like it. And they knew that if they like let it out of their body, something bad would happen. And so it was affecting the player. It had a a direct effect on the player. What ended up happening was that the villain, like Kelbo at this moment was like, I just want this thing out of me, released it. And then time froze through the whole universe. Every place except for the planet, the the Time Lord Prison planet Shada, which allowed, you know, the villain to escape, right? So the players, of course, then put this object back inside Kelbo, but because time had stopped, they have no idea what happened, right? And so now your villain is loose, you know, and... It's timey wimey in the sense that uh, you know uh, the the players now don't realize that their biggest villain is out to get them again because he had planned ahead, you know, to change what was going to happen with them. And and even though that's not timey wimey in the sense that things are jumping around, being able to freeze time, and and when he froze time, it was a year before like he escaped and let them put the thing back in. But to them, it was like an instant, right? So mm-hmm. I just mean to tell you a story of the game, but I'm trying to say that if you use time travel in a way that directly affects the characters, every villain or every action that happens with the time travel is personal to them. Mm-hmm. And that's Kelbo now is responsible for this guy being loose, yeah. so when their friends find out, they're going to be like, why did you do that, buddy? Like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that Create some inter party conflict, but in the most positive way in gaming. It's not that Calibo is malicious or bad, but is responsible for some of the actions that will affect the whole party now. So.
1: Yeah, consequences. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, I was I, we were just curious, we had a we had a lengthy discussion about it and we were like, Oh, you know, Nick's <laughs> Nick's been doing this for ages, so he's probably <laughs> right. got yeah. some insights there. Um, yeah, But uh but yeah, I don't um We've been going on for like fifty minutes now, so I'm gonna end it soon. But Nick, I did wanna um, touch base on your book again because I know that's coming out this month, right? So
2: it, it is actually uh, in ten days, I think, or so. So on from when we're recording this, the on August 21st is when the book Red, White, and Who: uh, The Story of Doctor Who in America gets released. And it's an outstanding, not just history but anecdote book. It uh, covers Doctor Who (laughs) video releases, including Revenge of the Cybermen being the first VHS released. Um, It includes, you know, games, stories, uh, anecdotes about fans, how people got into Doctor Who fandom in America. Um, It's an amazingly great history book that covers all of uh, Doctor Who in the usa and how it's developed and really become a thing and how we're doing podcasts on it here in the usa instead of it just being something in the uk so so yeah that's um
0: i think i even saw a news story somewhere i don't know it came Mm. up on my feed it looked like it was getting some some discussion um so uh so yeah i'll put a link below the podcast again so just
2: um absolutely uh, we're 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 really proud of it. Again, I was not the only author on it. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to the other people that worked on it. I'd like to mention Stephen Warren Hill, Jennifer Adams Kelly, Rob Warnock, Jan Fennec, and uh, John Lavalley, all of who worked with me very hard on this book. And I really think it'll be the jumping-off point for anybody else who does any doctor-type research about Doctor Who in America will be looking at this is a starting point. and if, if you're a Doctor Who fan in America, I think you will everyone will find something great in this book.
0: And so with that, I think we'll uh, we'll depart and we will be back. Uh, I don't know if we're gonna just keep going forward chronologically and go to the uh, the next the, the first episode. I would
1: recommend that. I feel okay, like yeah. the next episode. The next episode
0: is the first
1: episode of the next season, but I think it feels more like the last episode of this season to be okay. honest.
0: So then we'll we'll start off with season thirteen uh, next time, and uh, which actually I'm looking forward to because the way this one ended, they kind of they kind of <laughs> get you excited about what's coming up. So I'm absolutely I'm eager, yep. I'm eager to find out what the uh, what the crisis is, and uh, right. um, and uh, and I think uh, uh, Adam, you and me, we need to do Outland, right? That is uh, Outland, yeah,
1: weekend. I can uh, watch that probably tonight so anytime next week would be good
0: yes i'll be the same i'll try to get it done tonight and uh and then um uh in the uh the wuxia podcast it looks like we might be getting to bride with white hair too soon or we're gonna be uh you know i I forget what movie we settled on as the uh the 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 option to if, if that doesn't go through but um uh but we'll be doing another episode in the next week we we do them all the time so it's it's terribly confusing sometimes um but but yeah so we'll we'll be back on and we'll talk to you later